Just Christians, one unified voice around the world, all speaking the same thing with no divisions or denominations, all perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Certainly sounds like pure fantasy, doesn't it, when you look at Christianity, quote-unquote, today? Yet that is exactly what Jesus Christ himself and his inspired apostles commanded, prayed for. Curious? Keep listening. More about religious unity and division is up next on today's podcast. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Good morning and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. I'm Jeff, and along with me today is our regular co-host, Brian. How you doing, Brian? Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Doing very well. Thanks. Oh, Brian, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, as you look at today's religious world, you know, under the overall canopy of "quote unquote" Christianity, you know, it is certainly not unified at all, like we mentioned in the introduction, is it? No, unfortunately, very, very fragmented globally. All right. Well, and actually, in preparation for the podcast, I did some research about the an estimated two and a half billion people. Uh, who, you know, proclaim themselves to be Christians around the world. Uh, unfortunately, you can easily divide them up into roughly six major groups and hundreds, if not thousands, of distinct subgroups, movements, and even what we might call fringe cults. You know, all of these claim to be, you know, following Jesus. You know, Brian, they teach an astonishing array of conflicting doctrines on just about any subject that, you know, you care to name, you know, from the nature of deity and the supernatural, how to be saved, how to worship God, you know, the work and organization of the local church, etc. And, you know, here in America, we tend to value diversity, we value freedom of choice, and certainly we have a constitutionally guaranteed freedom of religion. So, you know, Brian, many of our listeners I think that this diversity, this uh, wide-ranging uh, set of choices, you know, is is a good thing. That such a diverse offering of religious choices is, is, in fact, to our benefit. That, in fact, some of our listeners may have heard the phrase, you know, join the church of your choice, or it doesn't matter what you believe, so long as you're honest and sincere. Or many roads lead to heaven. But you know, Brian, as we'll see in a few moments. That's not what the scriptures teach, that really that perhaps misplaced sense of rejoicing over such freedom of choice really should be one of sorrow. Uh, and that, unfortunately, the church is not nearly as unified as Jesus desired it. Brian, any uh, introductory comments on your side? Yeah, those are very important points. And like you said, it, it should be sad. I mean, I guess, you know, part of it is we live in a society today where we have so many choices with so many things in our lives. So, for instance, when we're growing up, you know, we teach our children that what they want to do when they get older, right, as we might say, or what career they choose really is up to them. You know, what interests you? What would you like to do? And so, you know, in that sense, I feel like from a societal perspective, we are used to choice. Choice is a good thing. And so, hey, why not? Why shouldn't it be the same with religion. And like you said, you know, Billy Graham gave this recommendation to join the church of your choice probably back in the 50s, 1950s. And it's actually one of the most damaging things he could have ever said because that's in essence saying there are many churches, right? Where in Ephesians we're told there is one church. What church is that? The Lord's church, right? The church that Jesus purchased with his blood. And so when it comes to religion, we would have to ask ourselves, can we be united with diverse beliefs, what we might call unity and diversity? Uh, anyhow, so we'll get into all that in this podcast, but, but you're right. It, it's one of those things that really should bring sadness because there is so much division, and many people probably don't understand how damaging that division can be. Well, right, and you know, some people may have been uh, you know, brought up or taught in you know doctrines like faith only like you know so long as you accept jesus as your personal savior or that you know as long as you're honest and sincere that the kind of 
they might claim, you know, nuances that separate the Catholics from the Baptists, from the Episcopalians, from the Pentecostals, from the Mormons, from the Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., are all just kind of superficial. And yeah, we'll, we'll all wind up in the same place, even though we're, we're kind of different. But Brian, uh, that's certainly not what the scriptures teach, is it? No. No, that's the kind of comfort that can be a false comfort, right? And so... Yeah, so why don't we start out? I mean, I guess it makes the most sense when we're talking about unity and division to kind of look at what the scriptures teach as it relates to those terms. So, for instance, when we look at this term unity or what does it mean to be united? Well, Jesus really helps us to understand this. Uh, For instance, when we look over in John chapter 13, you know, here at the end of this book of John, we are seeing the life of Jesus come to an end. So he's been preaching and teaching for a couple of years based on what God planned and what Jesus knew would happen. Jesus was near the end of his life, and he said over in John chapter 13 and verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so that quote there about Jesus, of course, was now Jesus is kind of giving his final remarks to his apostles, to his disciples. And if you go now to John chapter 17, Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his disciples and apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, And the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. And then finally, verse 23, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and you have loved them as you have loved me. So, Jesus really helps here to, I feel like, clearly define what it means to be united. Of course, he says to be one, that you may be in me, and I in you, and our Father in you, and I, and so forth. Well, of course, we understand he's talking about spiritually. So how is it possible for two people to be united spiritually? Well, they have to use the same standard. And so when it comes to something we've talked about a lot on this podcast, you know, the Bible is our standard of authority. So it doesn't really matter what you or I think, uh, all of us, whether it's me, Jeff, or the listeners, it doesn't matter really what we think. It matters what God's Word teaches. And so when Jesus is talking about being one, he's talking about following that same standard of authority. And after Jesus went back to heaven, as he promised, he sent the Holy Spirit who then fully revealed the Lord's plan and God's will. And that's, of course, what we have today in our Bibles. And so Jesus also, one other passage I want to look at here in John chapter 16, said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. And so, one of the, Jeff, I feel like one of the key principles when we talk about being united is to understand how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were fully united. And Jesus said that he didn't come to reveal his own, as in Jesus's plan, but to simply reveal what God's plan was, and the same with the Holy Spirit. Well, If Jesus is only revealing what God's plan was, and the Holy Spirit's only revealing what God's plan was, then we can truly say that they were united. And in contrast with many denominations, for instance, where you look at the founder are different men and women who are espousing their doctrine, what Jesus here is saying is there's only one, and it's called the truth, and it comes from the Father. So what our opinions are should never enter into the equation. Jeff, any thoughts on that? Uh, and agreed. And and I guess one of the things that you'll, our listeners will hear us, you know, mention time and time again, is a strong emphasis on the Bible, on, you know, learning, studying, learning, you know, obeying, etc. Right at the get-go, you know, some religious groups that do proclaim 
be followers of Christ will have things in addition to the Bible that they view as authoritative. Um, some may go back to some of the you know writers in the second and third century, you know after Jesus and all the apostles had died, and what they had written uh, was you know aggregated into the Bible. You know they want to add add more to it. Uh, some people view today you know view the writings of modern people that allegedly are inspired uh, as authoritative. And I guess I'm kind of thinking like Mary Baker Eddy or the Mormons with Joseph Smith, etc. So a lot of people will want to add more to the Bible. And of course, some groups that say, well, no, we just only go by the Bible. Now we can, and I know this is not today's uh, emphasis on our podcast, but you know, we can get into Bible study techniques and how to properly study the Bible to glean from it. But uh, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, being anchored in what the scriptures say, especially since that's what, you know, Jesus and the apostles are, you know, telling us that we need to be. We need to be anchored. We need to be unified. We do need to be able to speak with the same voice, be of the same mind. Yeah, I really appreciate the point you just made about adding to, right? Because there are many religions that will claim, as you pointed out, yes, we're following the Bible. Yes, we agree that the Bible is God's standard. However, we have some additional things we'd like to add. And of course, in Revelation, we know it talks about, you know, being cursed if you add to or take away anything, not just from Revelation, but from Scripture as a whole. And so, you know, over in Amos chapter 3 and verse 3, here the Lord says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? And so when you think about this idea of saying you're united, Hey, we're one, as Jesus said, but yet if we completely believe something differently, like you might believe that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, well, because the Bible teaches that, but I might believe, well, no, belief alone is fine. We cannot be united, right? Just by logical definition, two cannot walk together in that sense spiritually unless they are agreed. Jeff, we kind of also see another element. So no doubt, doctrinal unity is is critical. But it's what that doctrinal unity also leads to that I think is important for us to understand. So if I could get you to read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, that would be great. Okay, sure. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Brian, there, there's a lot packed in that passage. <laughs> yeah, you read my mind. I was going to say, thanks for reading that lengthy <laughs> passage. Um, but, but it is, it's very rich. And I think it also really helps us understand what it means to be united. So no doubt, spiritually, that's all throughout, right? But when you think about how we behave physically towards others, or how we are linked when it comes to spiritual matters in general, for instance, the treatment of one another. So let's just we'll kind of go back through this and look at a few highlights. Number one in verse nine, you know, talks about abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good. So if, if we absolutely abhor what's evil and we want to cling to what's good, then we should have every desire to understand, well, what does good mean, right, as God defines it? Well, verse 10, things like being kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. We learn through God's word what brotherly love is, phileo type love. Or when we think about Philadelphia, you know, the kind of the city of brotherly love here in the United States. Or agape love. We've had a few podcasts recently about that where, you know, this selfless love. 
being fervent in spirit, right, to serve the Lord, verse 11, doing things like distributing to the needs of the saints and giving to hospitality. So are we following God's plan and doing the good works that he's given us to do? Maybe helping somebody physically or financially or whatever. Uh, Because we're united, verse 15, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep, right? Because we share this common spiritual bond, then we feel each other's joy and pain. Notice that extends to verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Well, what does that mean? It means, as it goes on to say, well, you, you can't set your mind on high things. You associate with those who are humble and want to do what God would have them to do. And it says, do not be wise in your own opinion, right? So much like we see in Proverbs 3, we do not become wise in our own eyes, but instead we defer, of course, to God. And then 17, repay no one evil for evil. So a Christian, a follower of Christ, doesn't look to get revenge. I understand that the scriptures teach us that vengeance is the Lord's. Verse 18, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, do not avenge yourselves. And then, of course, you know, vengeance is mine, verse 19 there. And so just another element here where we want to think about how we treat one another, as we just read in Romans 12, really also helps to illustrate how we can be united with one another based on God's principles. And so it's certainly more than just, you know, once again, using the same standard as in the Bible, but also having the same understanding of the truth. And Jeff, that's not always easy, is it? Because there are gray areas, right? And there are some areas where we might have differences of opinion, but yet when it comes to those foundational principles, we can definitely still be united in the truth. Right. And it certainly represents what we should be striving for, you know, striving to be united, you know, even in the face of some of the things you mentioned in terms of, you know, some gray areas. You know, it is certainly not the, oh, you can belong to whatever church you want to. You know, definitely. You know, that's that's not true. And of course, while in the section we're talking about, you know, what it means to be united, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, Jesus's prayer for his disciples uh, to be united. But also we see the same kind of sentiment expressed by Paul. Uh, and in fact, Brian, if you want to, it's, it's a, I'll give you a short passage <laughs> to read. First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse 10, Paul speaking to the uh, Christians in Corinth. Yeah, here he says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Yeah, I like that verse because it really defines the unity, doesn't it, in that, in that sense? It does. And to kind of even drive the point home even more so, Paul, when he wrote to the Galatians, you know, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Now, notice how serious this is. Or even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. This is more, you know, way beyond freedom of choice. This is even beyond, you know, preference. Uh, this is beyond, you know, you guys ought to be able to get along, you know, agree with one another. This is like, you know, our salvation is at stake. So a, extremely uh, important. Uh, Brian, any other thoughts you might have before we start talking about the benefits of being united? Uh, no, but yeah, let's move on to that next. Okay. So part of that unity or the benefits uh, of being united is that we are all share a same, uh, I might call it a spiritual bond, or are all members of the same spiritual family, so to speak. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, uh, beginning with verse 26 says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So what we see in this spiritual sense as those who have been, you know, immersed, of course, we would understand that in water in order to have the forgiveness of sins, have been kind of brought into, you know, God's spiritual family. And so we're, we're you know, one family in Christ. And that certainly as a benefit would 
somewhat blur, if you will, the distinctions that cause so much strife and division between people today, you know, between, you know, people of different nations, national pride, so to speak, between the sexes, between the races, etc. I mean, sources of a lot of contention today. You know, once we realize that we're all one in Christ, you know, those things are, you know, secondary, tertiary, you know, really don't matter that much. You know, for, certainly from a spiritual perspective, we're all united uh, from that perspective. Certainly, and of course, that would be all, you know, faithful Christians uh, together across the whole world. But also within local congregations, you know, kind of coming together in a local setting to you know, help one another, uh, you know, each member, you know, contributing what they can to, you know, helping one another and helping the body. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12, you know, roughly beginning with verse 1, first eight verses, but particularly in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, you know, talking about our physical body, but we being many, now talking about people, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And he goes on to talk about ministry and teaching and exhorting and giving and, and leading. So, you know, we each have a role that we can play, you know, within a local congregation to kind of encourage, uh, build up, uh, to be unified, etc., uh, in fact, Brian, I'll give you a little bit longer passage to read. How about Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11 through verse 16? Yeah, here it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, or shepherds, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot packed in that one too, isn't there? There is, yeah, very rich passage. Um, and certainly we have apostles and prophets, what they wrote, you know, preserved for our benefit today. And of course they're dead. But, you know, today we have, you know, evangelists, preachers, we have uh, elders, we have teachers, of course, in addition to, the, you know, the scriptures to, to help, you know, guide us, you know, through the scriptures. Uh, unity of the faith, that's uh, verse 13. Notice the contrast, verse 14, should no longer be children tossed to and fro with, you know, whichever way the wind blows, you know, doctrine. Now, also notice trickery of men cunning craftiness deceitful plotting you know as we said uh, at the very beginning of the podcast you know the attitude of you know join the church of your choice uh, certainly that that is just totally out of sync with the dangers here that the holy spirit through paul you know warns the ephesians that there are there's, there's trickery going on there's cunningness there's craftiness there's deceitfulness going on and and we need to have our eyes so to speak you know wide open as we perhaps you know look for a congregation you know to join ourselves to you know what do they say what do they teach what do they practice etc and be very careful to com contrast that with what the scriptures say because ultimately like verse 16 says you know we want to be joined and knitted together Certainly, you know, individually, as individuals, as local congregations, and as quote unquote faithful Christianity, if I could use that term kind of loosely, you know, the body of the saved, you know, everywhere around the planet, you know, growing of the body for, you know, edifying, building itself, uh, strengthening itself in love. You know, Brian, one of the other benefits of uh, true unity 
is the how it gives what I might say a testimony, you know, to the world. If we were truly unified, certain we have that encouragement from Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 23, when he was talking to his disciples. One of the reasons why he wanted them to be unified and say the same thing and practice the same thing that the world may know that you have sent me. Uh, unfortunately, I think one of the things that gives you know, atheists and agnostics and skeptics and you know, members of other world religions like Muslims and Hindus, etc., you know, what, what gives them, I don't know, comfort is the right word, but, you know, they look at Christianity as it exists today, you know, highly fragmented, and it is certainly not a good, you know, testimony, so to speak. It certainly gives them a good reason or excuse to say, well, you know, a few Christians can't get your act together. You know, you obviously don't have the truth because you can't even agree amongst yourselves. A very, very sad state of affairs. Uh, and certainly they can, in some ways, legitimately criticize, you know, quote unquote Christianity, you know, as being unfortunately, hopelessly divided. You know, not because the Bible put them in that direction or uh, justified them doing that. In fact, as we've seen, you know, the Bible commands just the opposite, that we do need to be united in what we say and what we do to avoid all the sort of crafty uh, wind doctrines that are out there. Brian, I'll, I'll toss it back to you before we go into our next section. Yeah, you know, when I think about the benefits of unity, and you were talking about kind of at the church level, right, us working together as a church, and as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, of course, that means that everybody does have to do their part, right? So God has given all of us unique skills and abilities, and, you know, how we contribute to our local church really matters. It really allows us to function as a body. I love that analogy, because it is just like your body working in harmony together. So, you know, overall, a church can absolutely be productive, can perform the work the Lord has given it to do if they're united, if everyone's united around the truth. And they also have the proper attitude, right, that we were talking about earlier in Romans chapter 12, where you are kind to one another, you have the same mind, you share the same goals, so on and so forth. And so, you know, these warnings that we've read a little bit about, you know, with teachers coming in, and teaching and drawing after disciples away after themselves, you know, those are just examples of what can happen if we are not united in the truth. So, for instance, I might come in and tell you, Jeff, you know, having a choir or having a musical instrument would add such depth to our music. Let's just go ahead and do that. And you would say, well, uh, we can consider that if you can give me scriptural authority to do that. Well, I'm not going to be able to give you scriptural authority for musical instruments because the scriptures in like Ephesians 5 tell us clearly that we need to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And so, you know, ultimately, if we all agree and follow that same standard, then we are going to push out anybody that's trying to bring in some doctrine that can't be supported by scripture. So anyhow... Tremendous benefits of unity, Jeff, and it's just, uh, I think we kind of goes without saying, right? It's absolutely essential if you expect to be a church of the Lord for any length of time. Yeah, exactly. And, but as we pointed out, unfortunately, that's not the state of affairs we find ourselves in today, is it? It is not, and as a result, we see a lot of division. And division isn't something that's unique to the Lord's Church. You really see it throughout all religion. Like, just look at the Baptist religion and how many different fragmentations, you know, how many different, you know, subsidiaries, if you will, of the Baptist faith there are, the Southern Baptist Convention, and, you know, there's just so many. Why? Because of division. And so, ultimately, if you're not united in the truth, then there will be division. And so over in Jude, there are some really good lessons that we can learn about what can happen to men when they walk after their own lusts, for instance. And so, Jeff, could you read Jude 1 through 7? And let's we'll pause there and make a few comments about that to start. Okay, Jude only has the one chapter, uh, verse 1 through 7. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. For mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. 
Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so when we think about this idea of division and what causes division, well, one of the main causes, and we did kind of allude to this already, right, as far as not following the same standard, but more importantly, why? Because men have come in, right, and brought in these false doctrines. And so, you know, Jude in verse 3 there is exhorting the brethren to contend earnestly. And I think we all understand this word earnest, you know, you, you are sincerely engaged. It's something that you're doing with purpose. So you're contending earnestly for the faith, of course, the faith referring to the truth, right, the gospel. He also mentions here common salvation, which in the Greek means, you know, shared by all. So, you know, we all have a common salvation that's based on this common standard of the truth. And so, or in this case, the faith that Jude's talking about. Well, why? Why do they need to contend earnestly? Well, he talks about that in verse 4, right? That certain men have crept in unnoticed. And what did they do? Well, they perverted the truth. They abused what God's grace allowed, uh, and they felt it was okay to give themselves over to their own desires. And so, you know, this is just one example of how churches can divide, but it does often start with men who once again want to draw people after themselves. And, you know, Jude really makes in verses 5 through 7 a powerful point that nobody's going to escape the judgment of God and understand that God is putting these here as examples to us to learn from so that we don't make the same mistake. So for instance, in verse 5, you know, God's own people, the Israelites, who he delivered out of Egyptian bondage, they still murmured and complained and sinned against God. And so as a result, he had to punish them and never allow them to enter this promised land of Canaan. Uh, and even Moses himself got caught up in sin because the people made him angry. And still his fault, though, right? There were still consequences. Verse 6, even angels who did not keep their proper domain, as it says there, are currently reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So God is not giving exceptions to angels or anyone, for that matter, that does not want to follow his will. Verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, they gave themselves over to sexual immorality, specifically homosexuality, and it says they have gone after strange flesh. Well, what did God do? He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does Jude say here? That they are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire, and God wants us to connect the dots and say, well, I also will suffer eternal fire if I do not follow what God wants me to do. So anyhow, the, these are just a few examples that Jude cites here that really kind of speak volumes about what God thinks about those who make any changes to his commands. That will inevitably cause division. Now, along with what we were just talking about as far as, you know, false teachers coming in, those kinds of things, you know, it's very common over time for men to inject his own opinions and create a sect in other words, maybe a group of people that believe and follow what he's teaching or causes disunion, right? Or, you know, this division that we were talking about. So over in Second Peter chapter 1, it talks here about this very idea, this, this idea of false prophets. And notice what it says, beginning in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, it says, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, 
Knowing this, verse 20 says, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, chapter 2, verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Verse 2 tells us, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And so, you know, as Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun since the beginning of time. There have been people that we read about, certainly in the Bible, and that we just hear about through different denominations that we see in the world today, that have their own beliefs. And like you said, Jeff, they might be adding to God's Word. They say, well, yeah, I respect God's Word, but I'm just going to add a little bit to it to enhance it or whatever it might be. Well, they're bringing in these destructive heresies. And so, you know, Acts chapter 20, Paul here also, we, we read about men who want to draw away members to follow them instead of Christ. And Paul is warning the elders at Ephesus of this very thing when he says in verse 29 that I know this, Paul said, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and also from among yourselves. So not just men coming in, but also verse 30 talks about men among yourselves. It says men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Then Paul warns in verse 31, watch. Therefore, watch, he says, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and night with tears. So Paul was constantly warning the brethren, and we should take heed to that same warning today, that there will also be, always be, I should say, men and women for that matter, who will have claimed to have found something new or unique or, hey, you, you know, the way that you've understood the gospel for 2,000 years is wrong. Instead, we should look at it this way. Anytime you have that sort of thing, just realize it's always going to continue to happen just like it has since the beginning of time and ultimately can lead churches to divide in two or divide into three because, once again, people are using their own opinions. So, Jeff, uh, let me turn it over to you for any other thoughts. Well, and I know we don't have a, a lot of time today, but if our listeners, like for instance, want to go out to the internet and, and look up the uh, history of Christianity or the history of the church, uh, you can easily see, I mean, even starting in the first century, you know, the, uh, the apostles, you know, Paul especially, you know, writing letters to different congregations because they were, even at that point, you know, starting to teach and practice different things. So a lot of warnings there. Well, that just continued, you know, continued on and was magnified over the centuries with, you know, departing from the, the apostles' teaching. And certainly as, as you go forward, all kinds of heresies and all kinds of sects, you know, within the you know, Roman Catholic Church as an example, or even in more modern times with the Protestant Reformation, you know, with the Lutherans and the Methodists and the Baptists, and you you can run all that way you know to the modern day with you know various groups like uh, Jim Jones and David Koresh or you know other you know sex if you will it's uh, you know a very sad state of affairs but i guess in some ways we shouldn't be surprised because even within the the passages of the new testament you know we were warned that, that would happen and of course they were dealing with you know divisions with Gnostics and others, even at their time, certainly you know something to be uh, lamented, but you know certainly prophesied. And you know, as, as as Solomon said, you know certainly nothing new under the sun. The other thing we just might mention in terms of a division, you know, certainly the dangers, you know, a lot of dangers. But I guess for a few moments, you know, let's just focus on you know individual congregations, you know, that get some group of members want to adopt you know one thing they haven't or they want to stop doing something they have been, whatever the case may be and you know this the first of all the discussion starts but often leads to you know squabbling and people picking sides and congregations getting destroyed i mean you know splitting physically you know into you know two you know totally separate groups um, certainly we, we 
kind of see a hint of that when uh, Paul, uh, again, wrote writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, where he talks about, you know, speaking the same thing, no divisions, perfectly joined together. So if you continue on, you can see in verse 11, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And certainly you kind of can see that echoed uh, in some ways, you know, many centuries later. You know, I'm of Luther. You know, I'm of Wesley. I'm of John Smith. I'm of Joseph Smith, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, and the main divisions, if you will, you know, with congregations following and rallying around, you know, the notable teachings of men. In fact, even we have the example of uh, Peter, uh, as recorded in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Paul writing to the Galatians, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, would eat with the Gentiles. And when they came, the men from James, Peter withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So here we again, you know, have an example, a very concrete example of, you know, the congregation, you know, starting to split, so to speak. And, you know, we, we see that happen today. You know, certainly not only congregation splitting, but, you know, basically the work of the Lord in trying to influence others to become Christians, as well as to encourage fellow Christians to remain faithful, you know, certainly gets hindered. You know, we waste all kinds of time fighting with each other. It's confusing to unbelievers, etc. Just so, Brian, just all different kinds of dangers from division. There definitely is. And, you know, this idea of following men and women, one of the things we see in the denominations, especially if you look at the origin of them, they were all started by men or women. Whereas what you read in the Bible is everything centers around Christ. He's our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. We're not to follow men. And, you know, Jeff, I was thinking as you were going through this this idea of preacheritis, right, where sometimes you have somebody at a church, he's the preacher, but oh, by the way, he's the pastor as well. So in other words, he's the single person that leads the entire congregation when the Bible clearly teaches there needs to be a plurality, right, more than one leader under the name of an elder. But, but regardless, people get this sort of preacheritis where they take what one man says and they hang on his every word and anything that he says goes, but yet when you compare what's being taught with the scriptures, you see differences. And more, I would say not more, but certainly several <laughs> divisions have occurred because people tend to follow what we might call the man instead of the plan, right? God's plan of salvation and so forth. So anyways, yeah, very common, lots of dangers, and, and certainly something we want to be aware of. Uh, and certainly have, and I don't remember exactly where it's taught, maybe you do, where Jesus, you know, in very graphic language, you know, if the blind lead the blind, both fall into the ditch. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not like you can say, well... You know, I follow my my pastor, preacher, my 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 reverend, or you know whatever term you know people might use today, and that's okay because you know if if they're wrong and I follow them in that being wrong, well that's okay. God will judge them, you know, because they're the ones in authority. It's like no, uh, it doesn't work that way. That's it, and you know it's interesting when we talk about division. Some might ask, well, isn't division always bad? In some ways, you could say, well, yeah, because that means there's sin involved, right? Most likely, if there's going to be some division, it's probably because of sin. So in that sense, yeah, all division's bad. But are there times where division is necessary? So let's think about that question for a moment. In that sense, then, if the answer is, well, yes, there are times where division is necessary, then we can answer the question, is division always bad? Well, the answer would be no, right? So anyhow, what, what are we talking about here? Well, first and foremost... If we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19, here again, you know, Paul talking to the church at Corinth, just as we were reading a bit ago, he says, For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So ultimately, 
if you have a congregation, a church, local church that exists for any period of time, let's say 20, 30, 40 plus years, there are going to be from time to time factions or sects or groups of people that splinter off from the main group, maybe over a doctrinal belief, for instance. And when that occurs, if the brethren are doing what the scriptures teach, they will sit down and compare what's being taught and practiced with God's word. And that's where this idea of those who are approved may be recognized among you here in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen 19 is, is talking about, because we can only be approved if we're doing what God's word teaches. And so if you have two different factions or groups or whatever teaching different things, then ultimately God's word is going to show who should be followed and approved within within the the congregation and and I want to be careful about saying follow because technically as I was just saying with preachers we don't necessarily follow men but we are told to obey for instance the elders of a congregation so we do follow them in that regard but once again there are going to be times where people have differing beliefs and so to find out what the truth is you study God's word and those who are teaching God's word are approved the others of course would be not approved and they might be rebuked, for instance. Over in Matthew chapter 10, Jeff, could I get you to read verses 34 through 37, talking about how the truth at times will cause division? Right. And in this context, of course, we need to remind our listeners that this is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Yeah, very powerful lesson there from Jesus. In fact, if you were just to read verses 34 through 36, you might think, well, he's, he's talking about causing division. And he actually is, right? I mean, there are times where Jesus says that his truth will cause division. Now, in this case here, he's talking about loving father, mother, daughter, brother, those kinds of things more than him. In other words, our loyalties are split or divided between Christ and our own family. And no doubt, the truth can separate, like a sword, the closest of families especially if you have some in the family who do not want to obey the gospel of Jesus. They want to live their own way, they, or maybe they want to believe in some false doctrine. Whatever the case may be, it's that which will cause division. And would Jesus have preferred that everyone be united? Well, yeah, we know that to be true, because that was one of the first things we read that he said at the beginning of this podcast, right? That his goal, his hope, with that we would all be united right around the truth. And so, Jeff, it's, it's one of these things where sometimes division is necessary, and I think you're going to talk about another case where that's true, right? Right. Uh, and, you know, division within the family, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe less so in families where, you know, some people in the family might be Baptists and others might be Methodists and others are Lutherans. Uh, you know, certainly in New Testament times where, you know, you have members of the family that subscribe to, you know, pagan gods or to, you know, Greek or Roman gods. And, you know, some of them decide to follow, quote unquote, the one true God, you know, source of division. Or, you know, even in modern times, you have like mixed marriages between like a Christian and a Muslim or a Hindu and a Christian, etc., you know, can very much cause. Or if, if a member of a Hindu family decides to convert to Christianity, that can be a major source of division. And as you said, it's it's like Jesus saying, you know, who are you gonna who are you gonna love and respect more? You know, uh, your you know your your parents, your your siblings, etc. Or Jesus. Now, I'm not obviously suggesting that, you know, you persecute them or you kill them or you, you know, just get really mean or in their face or anything along those lines. But, yeah, you may have to make a choice between doing what your family says and doing what uh, Jesus says. 
kind of continuing on, you know, there's a certain uh, responsibility that faithful Christians have, certainly within the context of the local congregation, of uh, withdrawing our congregational discipline from those who walk disorderly or who would sow the seeds of discord, if you would, within the local congregation, you know, to help, you know, keep the church, uh, local congregation, you know, pure uh, and, and reduce the chance of division. Romans chapter uh, 16 uh, comes to mind, uh, verses 17 and 18, you know, Paul speaking to the Romans. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. You know, necessary to notice and necessary to avoid. Brian, you want to go ahead and read Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 for our listeners. Yes, here it says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Right. So yet again, very similar to Romans chapter 16. And likewise, Ephesians chapter 5, it's kind of a, a lengthy passage. We're not going to read the whole thing. But basically, if you kind of look through the whole chapter of Ephesians 5, uh, talks about being imitators of God. And then in contrast, verse 3, fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not even be named among you. Goes on filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, fornication, uh, covetousness, idolatry, etc. But for our discussion today, if you come on down to verse 7, Therefore, now watch it, it's like two points. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't do the same things. And verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So once again, pointing things out, making discerning judgments, etc. Uh, and one thing I, I might just kind of toss in here, Brian, is some people say, well, now, wait a minute, doesn't that contradict, I think it's Matthew chapter 7, where it says, judge not. It's like, well, of course, we would have to view that passage and these passages here, bring them together and try to harmonize them. Because even in Matthew chapter 7, there is a judging, a discerning that's going on. In fact, I think that passage also says, you know, once you've taken care of yourself, then you're able to take care of the problem that your brother has. Likewise here, you know, we need to be discerning. We need to make scripture-based judgments of who's teaching the truth and emulate their example and who's not teaching the truth and, you know, try to work with them, try to convince them, try to study with them, encourage them to, you know, study themselves out of that. But if not, then we need to note them, mark them, avoid them, etc. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, where John says, Little children is the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And again, talking about false teachers. But they went out that, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So certainly we don't want to see division. Certainly it gives a bad testimony to people, unbelievers out in the world. But there are, and certainly we would want to be united, but we need to be united in the truth. Uh, I'm reminded, Brian, you know, unity in diversity. I've heard that phrase. Well, but that's not the kind of unity the scriptures talk about, that we do need to make discerning judgments and there are times when division is necessary. Brian, any other thoughts before we go to some sample questions? Yeah, to your point about unity and diversity, yeah, there are some things that are non-doctrinal that we can have differences of opinion, like our church building. Hey, what color is the carpet going to be, right? Those kinds of things. That's fine. But when it comes to doctrinal matters, 
that's not possible to be united having diverse opinions. It's like an oxymoron, right? So anyways, it's like... Well, and you raise, you raise a good point because, you know, sometimes we'll let um, false doctrine go by and accept it uh, when we shouldn't. And sometimes we will, you know, squabble and divide over the silliest things. Like you said, the, the, the color of the carpet in the church building, you know, as, as an example. And like I've heard the phrase, you know, we, we major in minors and minor in majors. We're making a mountain out of a modal hill. You know, some, some Americanisms, which are not all of our listeners may be able to appreciate. But that, yeah, sometimes we, we draw a distinction when we shouldn't and we don't when we should. Exactly. All righty. So as we like to do with a lot of our podcasts, we do have questions that have been previously submitted to the website. That we like to highlight in relationship to whatever topic we're talking about. So today we've got a couple. Uh, the first one, Brian, comes from Barbara. Well, she writes in, why do churches split over things like not singing the right kind of songs or getting so caught up in the traditions of a denomination which are not so according to God's word that we just miss it all together. Why do they split over such things? Yeah, it's a good question. And really, I guess you could say the answers vary. I mean, I think at a base level, it's probably pride. You know, when we were just talking about like the color of the carpet or whatever, if you were to split with your brethren over something like that, I can only assume it's because of pride or something else, right? Something ungodly that's happening there. And but, I mean, as we've been talking about all along, I mean, ultimately, God would prefer that we never divide, right? And we know, as we just read a couple times, actually, now, 1 Corinthians 1.10, you know, that's not going to happen if you're truly united around the truth, and you are not wise in your own eyes, right? You're humble. If somebody does have a difference in opinion on what color the carpet should be or what kinds of songs to sing— then certainly let's talk about it. Because, for instance, with songs, you know, there could be unscriptural songs. And so it would be appropriate for somebody to raise a concern about something unscriptural in a song. And, you know, it would be sinful to keep singing it. Well, they're they're not trying to cause division. They're just trying to stay within what the truth teaches. And so in that sense, it's very healthy to have sensible, logical, calm, maybe I should say, discussions about differences. And so the we, we were talking a lot about men that come in unaware or people that rise up from within a congregation. You know, sometimes people can take non-doctrinal things. So going back to Barbara's question about like kinds of songs or maybe even some traditions that we see in a denomination um, in this case, she says, not according to God, God's word. Yeah, we'd have to reject those. But once again, there can be non-doctrinal things that come up, and we need to be able to have a discussion about it. And so at the end of the day, it is all Christians' responsibility, even for congregations that have elders, to keep the church pure. And once again, if there are, whether it's people coming in or somebody you know, suggesting like instrumental music or whatever it might be, yeah, there has to be division in those cases, but in non-doctrinal things, let's be mature, let's talk about it, let's work through it, and be united around a common goal, and that's doing the works that God gave us to do. Jeff? Good point, and, and I think I think we're kind of approaching this kind of from, from two different directions, which kind of makes sense. You know, if it is a matter of doctrine, we need to stand firm. If it's a matter of opinion, we need to have some you know, give and take. You know, you mentioned, you know, color of carpet, you know, as an example, you know, some, some congregations, you know, the, the order of services, you know, for instance, you know, so long as we're doing what the Bible says we should be doing in worship of God, of, you know, singing songs and prayers and scripture reading and scripture teaching and Lord's Supper, et cetera, you know, the, the order of things, you know, can be left up to a, a certain degree, a matter of judgment. And certainly, again, we don't want to squabble over matters of judgment. We should have a, you know, kind of a go-along to get-along kind of attitude on things that are not doctrine, so to speak. But if it is doctrine, you know, we certainly need to uh, stand firm. Yes, indeed. All right, Jeff, so we have a question for you. And the question is, what does the Bible teach that the church should do to remain united and minimize the chance of division? I like that question. 
I do. That's a good one. I think in some ways, as we've kind of been talking about all along, it has to start with sound scriptural understanding, certainly Bible-centric teaching, certainly emphasis on the Bible as the authority, looking for, you know, book, chapter, and verse, understand how to properly interpret the Bible. Uh, And Brian, you know, as you kind of, as we wrap up today's podcast, you might want to point people to some of the other episodes where we've had in terms of, you know, Bible authority and Bible study, etc. But for, for the moment, you know, a strong focus on the Bible versus what various church councils might have decided or various creeds of men or human think so or human reasoning or I feel testimonials or, you know, funny feel good stories that a lot of, you know, preachers, you know, like to offer. No, no, it's, it's, it's be anchored first and foremost uh, in the scriptures. In fact, we see Paul encouraging Timothy that in First uh, Timothy chapter 4. Well, Brian, yeah, to kind of drive this point home, why don't you go ahead and read for our listeners Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning verse 2, verse 5. And for our listeners, you know, keep in mind, you know, the, the strong emphasis in terms of the, uh, the, the scripture should have. Yeah, here Paul is uh, encouraging Timothy in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Yeah, certainly, Brian, very relevant to uh, being being anchored in the scripture. Is that fair? It sure is. Yeah, absolutely is. Yeah. Oh, that's part of the answer, you know, how a church can remain united. As we pointed out, there's, and you pointed out earlier, there's an attitude kind of thing with one another, which is like the second half of the answer. Uh, that we need to be somewhat forbearing, somewhat tolerant, and I, and I use that word kind of with a degree of caution, because we don't want to tolerate false doctrine. We don't want to tolerate people that want to divide, but you know, we, we do want to be somewhat uh, tolerant where we can. Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 3, uh, uh, Paul speaking to the Ephesians, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we mentioned this earlier, Brian, about matters of judgment or matters that are sort of morally indifferent to God. Romans chapter 14, certainly uh, that whole chapter, is uh, some concentrated teaching on that. For example, verses 10 through 13, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, here's the point, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. You know, just like with families, physical families, you know, sometimes, you know, close association, we can kind of rub one another the wrong way, so to speak. And so part of congregational unity is this proper attitude we should have toward one another to be, you know, humble, you know, gentle, long-suffering, bearing with one another etc. In fact, I'm kind of reminded off the cuff of, I think it's like Romans chapter 13, about all the aspects of agape type love uh, that we should have for one another within a congregational setting. Brian, uh, any comments before we start to wrap stuff up? Yeah, just one final comment for me, and that is, you know, fortunately, God has given us what we need to understand how to be united and how to avoid division. Of course, as you've been pointing out, you know, through his word, and in Second Peter, you know, chapter two, 
If you read that section of three through nine, you'll notice in there it talks about how the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So, you know, fortunately, even when we face a situation where maybe we want to have a disagreement with our brother or sister about some non-doctrinal thing, God has given us a way of escape. He's allowed us to understand how to keep our anger, if you will, under control and to speak reasonably and all of those kinds of things. And then ultimately, you know, God is going to judge everyone in the end. And so, you know, sometimes people can get wrapped around the axle, Jeff, on, well, you always get your way and I don't get mine or whatever. And while that may be true, we just, we have too much to worry about that's more important than to get bogged down in those kinds of things, right? So hopefully out of this Unity and Division podcast, we've conveyed that at the end of the day, it's in everyone's interest to be united in the truth, to work out our small differences, and to really all try to get to heaven, right? I guess that's the ultimate goal, Joe. Well, exactly. And, and you know, having, it, as you indicated, the, the proper attitude toward one another, wanting to get along, and more importantly, having the proper attitude toward the scriptures as, as the ultimate guide or source or rule book that we should be following. And, and I guess in many ways that all boils down to you know, loving our neighbors as ourselves and lo- loving God. <laughs> exactly right. Well, we appreciate everyone joining us. And as we like to do, we also want to give you some additional material on our website, biblequestions.org, that you can look at. If you look under the topics menu, you'll see there's some additional articles around controversy if you choose the letter C. D for denominationalism, F for fellowship, U for unity. And then, Jeff, you touched on previous podcasts that we did uh, on authority. And so I'll point our listeners to episode 95. If you have not heard that one, Jeff and I go through what the Bible teaches us about the proper way to establish Bible authority, you know, express command, approved example, necessary info. So would highly encourage you to take a look at that as well. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you for our next episode. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.